0: Welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing a recent article titled Finishing Beef Calves on Farm. This article is from the Cow-Calf Corner Newsletter, which is produced by Oklahoma State University. To discuss today's topic, I'm joined by the author of the article, Dr. Paul Beck, who's an Extension Beef Specialist with Oklahoma State University. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Beck.
1: Thank you for the invitation, Aaron. I really appreciate it.
0: Dr. Beck, this is the first time we've had the privilege of having you on the Beef Watch podcast. So before we talk about today's topic, share with us a little more about yourself, your background, and your current role there now with Oklahoma State University.
1: Well, uh, Aaron, I was born and raised here in Oklahoma, uh, just a little ways here from Stillwater. Beef cattle and uh, some uh, wheat farming and uh, uh primarily ran stocker cattle on on the, the wheat land and on some summer grass came to school here at oklahoma state uh did my bachelor's and master's and then i got an opportunity to go to university saw and uh, never intended to to live east of i-35 but uh wound up getting my phd at arkansas and i spent 20 years on the faculty at university of arkansas and uh, uh, research station in Southwest, uh, Arkansas, in the uh, very humid and hot part of the state. Three years ago, I got the opportunity to come back as an extension specialist here at Oklahoma State University and been just really enjoying being back home, but you know also really had a great experience you know working in a different environment. The research that that we're talking about today was actually, something that a meat scientist friend of mine and, and I had been talking about for years. And, and we did this research at Arkansas just a few years ago, right before we moved back. Well,
0: Dr. Beck, the title of the article was Finishing Beef Calves on Farm. But really, the focus of the article is around some different systems that you examine looking at feeding cattle on pasture, then comparing those to what we would think about as a more conventional way of finishing cattle in a dry lot scenario. Share with us the systems that you examined, what went into those, and why did you really want to take a look at this? What was the driving questions you had as you looked at these two systems?
1: There's a lot of consumer interest in forage finished beef. And, you know, what they think of as as forage finished beef and, and what we think of as finished beef you know, really doesn't fit with with what you, a lot of what you can produce on on pasture. There's a lot of environmental implications of, you know, moving to a, you know, 100% forage finishing program. The United States were to move away from confined feeding. With the pasture land we have right now, we could only produce about a quarter of the, the amount of beef relying solely on forage finishing. But there's a great market for people interested in raising cattle on pasture in in Arkansas, where we conducted this research. There's there's no feedlots. It's a uh, not a good environment for finishing cattle in confinement. It's too wet, too humid, uh, and too hot through the summer. The winters are are not you know really super cold, but it's a wet cold. So there's a lot of environmental stressors and, and, you know, when you're in a 50 inch rainfall zone, like Arkansas is 50 to 60 inches a year is their average, you know, there's gonna be a lot of fighting the mud. So we didn't want to just look at a production system that yeah, we can finish a a few calves for our own use or we can finish a few calves and, and sell them to our neighbors. We wanted to look at a alternate production system could be adaptable to the commercial scale. Um, not just, you know, this would work on just a few head, but we could upscale it to, you know, commercial scale and, and do it cost effectively to where you can afford to sell it in, in commercial production. Uh, and even if you're not expecting a, a premium for a a quote grass fed product, you know, there still would be of suitable quality and, um, cheap enough to produce that it would work in that commercial system.
0: Dr. Beck, tell a little about the pasture system you're looking at there. Obviously, southwest Arkansas is pretty different from native pasture in Nebraska or, or even there in you know, western Oklahoma. What was the grass composition you were looking at in your system there and kind of help us get a picture of the environment that you were feeding these cattle in?
1: So our, our project we wanted to look at, was relying on pasture for a significant amount of the uh, daily dry matter intake these cattle would would consume, but alter that or or amend that with some concentrate supplementation. So we had these cattle on introduced pastures. The the first year of the trial, it was uh, in collaboration with some other uh, research stations in Northwest Arkansas, they were a fall cabin cow herd based primarily on tall fescue. And those calves were weaned in May. They were put through a stalker phase through the, the, through the summer. And then as yearlings, half of those cattle were, were shipped to a feed yard uh, at West Texas A&M at, at uh, Canyon, Texas and the other half stayed on pasture and were supplemented at 1% of body weight of the soybean hull and corn based diet. And those cattle, they they were on uh, tall fescue uh, mixed with clover and then had some access to some cool season annuals through the the winter, but primarily it was a a cool season perennial type uh, mix. The cattle that I was managing in southwest Arkansas in, the, in that first year of the study, they're a spring calving cow herd, primarily Angus, uh, you know, uh, eighth to a quarter uh, Brahman, because we were quite a way south in Arkansas, very humid. We weaned those cattle in October, preconditioned them, and then ran them on as stalkers on interceded cool season annuals. So it was primarily wheat pasture for that stalker phase um and then we finished those cattle through the summer and uh, we shipped you know half the cattle to that same feed yard in in uh, uh the Texas panhandle uh, and the other half we kept on bermuda grass and crabgrass mixed pastures uh for that summer finishing uh, they were fed 1% of body weight uh, of a, a blend of, of corn and and soybean hulls the uh Next year, um, we only used the cattle from the uh, Southwest Arkansas station. And they were a similar management, similar forage program, but we increased that supplementation rate up to 1.5% body weight through the uh, summer finishing period.
0: Tell us about the performance of those cattle as they went through this growing and finishing phase, how the cattle on pasture being fed versus the cattle in a conventional feedlot scenario performed? And then what was the performance of those cattle when they went to the rail? How did they grade and yield?
1: So in the, the first year, um, we, could, we didn't have any difference in response, depending on the calving system or the ranch they came through or, or the, the year time of year they were on the, uh, the finishing program. So we, we pulled the results. The cattle were, were fairly similar in, in type. The uh, overall finishing average daily gain for the cattle in that first year was uh, 4.4 pounds per day. They were killed by the time they were 18 months of age and uh, ending body weight on, on the cattle that went through finishing on, on the, in the High Plains feed yard was right at 1,440 pounds. The cattle that were on grass, uh, or finished on pasture, they stayed out for about a month longer. Uh, they were killed uh, uh, right at a month, 40 days after the cattle on concentrate diets were, uh, were slaughtered, And, and but they, they gained like two and a half pounds a day. Uh, their slaughter weight for those pasture cattle was right at 1,310 pounds. Uh, so we didn't get quite as much gain and quite as much, you know, body weight at the end. Dressing percent was right at 60% for those cattle out on grass, which those cattle were on a more higher forage diet. They were getting a lot more fiber in their diet. So, you know, instead of the, you know, 62 and a half is what the other cattle had, uh, were dressing at, you know, right at 60, but we can kind of expect that because fill going to be more, you know, gut mass is going to be more. There's a lot of that uh, stuff that, you know, will go together to decrease that dressing percent. So our hot carcass weights for the pasture cattle with supplement was right at 750 pounds, which is still, I think, a reasonable weight. Um, but the Cattle on on the high plains, you know, finishing system were right at 860 pounds in in hot carcass weight. In that first year, we had uh, uh, the cattle um, that were finished in the feedlot were 85% choice, while the cattle that were finished on pasture were only about 20% choice, Uh, 78% select and 22% choice. We had some yield grade twos and threes. On the, those pasture cattle, so you know we did, you know, get them to a fairly fat endpoint in in this program. We just didn't have enough energy, maybe not enough uh, concentrate, to drive the intramuscular fat to get that choice grade. The uh, second time we we did the study, we wanted to make some changes. You know, the, we we thought that there was some benefit to the to the program, we could look at uh, the profitability from from that first year, and you know, our our input costs were not were were not as much when we were feeding those supplements on pasture as compared to those cattle that were, you know, fed on, you know, on concentrate. So, you know, the return uh, or dollar per carcass return on that was right at $1,300 for those pasture cattle compared to, you know, $1,500 for those cattle finished in the feedlot, which, you know, that's $200, but we felt like we had, you know, $200 less invested in those cattle. So their profitability was actually going to be very similar for either the the pasture finished cattle versus the concentrate finished cattle. so. You know you we penciled out a nine hundred twenty six dollar return back to the cattle on on the, the grain finished compared you know to uh, 8 hundred thirty uh, return back to the cattle so not counting the first cattle cost you know, and that's a that's a fairly good return on a, on a system like that so the the second year of the study we wanted to do everything as similar as we could but try to push for better performance and better carcass performance on those cattle. So we decided to uh, change our supplementation some when the cattle first started as yearlings in that finishing system, the cattle that stayed on pasture, we started out at 1% of body weight of that same supplement. And then when we felt like we had about four months left on that, that program, we moved it up to one and a half percent of body weight. And um, we adjusted that um, monthly, so we would keep up with the uh, cattle and and keep it at a true one and a half percent of body weight. So, you know, when those cattle were weighing 1,200 pounds, you know, they were getting right at 18 pounds of of concentrate supplement a day. Uh, One thing we we realized early on, um, if you do your normal, feeding activity uh, like we all want to do it early in the morning uh, for those cattle in that hot weather, we would disrupt their morning grazing cycle, they would consume the supplement, and then they'd go lay down and they wouldn't get back up and graze any longer. Uh, and we we uh, felt like we were decreasing forage intake a lot more just because of those behaviors and, and the heat of the day issues. So we waited to started waiting to feed those supplements later in the day after the cattle had finished their morning grazing activity they were shaded up we'd feed the supplement they'd come back out of the shade uh, consume the supplement and then go lay down for the rest of the day so we felt like we were adding to the caloric intake in doing that and uh, we saw a pretty good improvement in performance at that time uh, when, when we started doing that, in, actually in the first year, uh, we started that in, in June when we realized what was going on as far as our grazing activity. So, you know, there's, you know, some things, the differences between the two years is, as far as what we would expect. But the uh, cattle in that second year, we uh, slaughtered the, the cattle that went to the feedlot right at 40 days earlier than the cattle that stayed on pasture. Kind of similar to that first year. But when we looked at the average daily gain on on the cattle went, you know, to concentrate feeding uh, in Texas, they gained four pounds a day. The ones that were finished on pasture during the finishing period, they gained 3.6. So, you know, pretty respectable average daily gain on those pasture cattle the slaughter weights were again over 1400 pounds 14 and 125 pounds for the cattle finished uh, in the feed yard compared to 1381 for the cattle finished on pasture so we made up a lot of that difference and what we were surprised at we actually got them to six tenths of an inch of back fat uh, on pasture compared to half of an inch our dressing percent on those cattle were, were similar. It was about 63% for, for both sets of cattle. Our hot carcass weight for the forage finished cattle was was uh, 836 compared to 850 for the feedlot finished cattle. So we feel like we made up a lot of the difference that we saw in that first year. The uh, cattle that were on that second year, we made, a I thought, a lot of difference on the uh quality grade on them and you know we were uh 93 percent choice on those cattle finished in in the feedlot uh and we were a hundred percent choice on the cattle finished on pasture and uh of those uh 75 percent of the cattle that were finished on pasture were uh premium choice uh cab or or, or prime um and the you know, 45% of those cattle that were finished in the feedlot were premium choice or better. So, uh, we feel like with with this, you can get cattle, good quality cattle, to a carcass endpoint that would be acceptable for almost anyone. It's it's not something that's just going to be a niche. And these cattle were were shipped to uh, the same packing plant in Amarilla, a large commercial packing plant, in, you know, uh, I don't, uh, we didn't analyze the fat color, but you know, it was very similar to the to the grain finished cattle. There was not a, you know, big difference in the yellow color of the meat or, or anything. So, you know, we feel like we, you know, there are some ways that we can finish cattle on pasture, uh, not have to supply a total mixed ration, don't have the, the equipment, you know, involved in, in milling and, and a lot of that that a commercial feed yard would uh, that gives us quite a few economic advantages for somebody that, that wants to finish cattle themselves.
0: As you talk about the ration that they were on, you mentioned it was a mix of soy holes and corn. What was kind of the percent of the mix as you think about the amount of corn and soy holes in these cattle that were being fed on pasture?
1: It was a about as simple a mix as you could make. It was 50% soy holes and 50% corn. The corn we used, uh, we'd get whole corn shipped in and we would just process it right there on the farm with a hammer mill. We pulled the screens out on the hammer mill. So we processed most of the corn kernels, you know, fairly well, but none of them, were ground up too fine. Probably 10 to 20 percent of those corn kernels that uh, weren't fully processed, um, but we feel like we, we got excellent utilization of the corn in feeding it this way uh, and processing it minimally as, as we did.
0: This is kind of a little different subject, but were there any health differences on the cattle that went to the yard there at Canyon and were fed, or the cattle that were fed on pasture in terms of incidents of illness and also losses were there really any differences between the two
1: groups no there wasn't uh, one of the concerns I had going in on on feeding these cattle out on pasture is acidosis or or uh, just some of the cattle over consuming concentrate because we're only feeding it once a day we're feeding considerable amounts of it you know there was no difference in you know any of the morbidity or mortality between the two groups. These cattle were, you know, they were pretty hard yearlings by the time we shipped them to the feed yard, and there was no commingling. They all came from the same herds and had been together, you know, even after weaning for a long time. So uh, we had no real sick health problems with either groups of of cattle, and I think a lot of us think about concentrate feeding in a feed yard. Acidosis is going to be an issue, but I had more fear about the cattle we were finishing on pasture getting into some acidotic events. And we, we didn't have that problem, uh, either, uh, in either system. Were implants used with
0: these two groups of cattle? And if so, what was your implant strategy?
1: So the cattle finished in the feed yard followed a, uh, fairly common feedlot strategy using the TBA and Uh, estradiol blended implants, fairly aggressive implant program, stepping up uh, as, as you go into the feeding period. We uh, uh, implanted them post weaning with a grazing type implant. The cattle that stayed out on pasture finishing, we continued on with that same implant. So you would probably consider the cattle that were, uh, finished on pasture to have gotten a, a moderate implant program while the cattle you know going to feed in the high plains would have been a more aggressive or a high potency type uh, implant program
0: and then the cattle that were being fed on pasture was there an ionophore delivered with that daily concentrate as well
1: yes we used um, a ensign that was uh, supplied with a mineral pack uh, that we uh, included in
0: Uh, the supplement. So as you think about your experiences with these systems and you think about the potential application for producers, where do you see the potential for feeding cattle on pasture, finishing cattle on pasture? And again, here, I want to make sure we're clear this is cattle are out grazing, but a majority of their caloric intake is coming from a concentrate. Where do you see application for this and where are the opportunities you think might be a fit for producers?
1: Well, it's a, I I could see it fitting both as a niche market that person could use to sell direct to consumers. I've talked to some producers in the southeast that are looking at doing similar programs to supply some of their own meat markets. In a lot of cases, those consumers, um, they don't really care if it's truly finished 100% on grass. You know, there's a lot of the consumers that do want that, but a lot of the consumers just want something locally grown. They don't want it shipped in from somewhere. And and I think, you know, we could easily supply that uh, in almost any locale using similar finishing systems to this. Especially, you know, in the Southeast where we would get so much more rain, this would be a, a, a lot better alternative than keeping cattle in dry lot. But over and above that, you know, direct marketing or, or niche marketing system or, or marketing system. I really see a, a person if, you know, we're a fairly large beef producer, have quite a few cows and wanted to retain ownership uh, in a situation like this year where we've got a lot of uh, producers here in Oklahoma pulling cattle from wheat pasture and they're not going to hit a profitability goal uh, just because of the way the markets have shifted this would give a way to retain ownership of, of cattle on their own farm without investing in a lot of feed delivery equipment uh, and milling equipment we can put together a couple of hundred cattle and, and market them straight to a commercial packing plant and uh, have performance and carcass performance that would be suitable for that commercial market.
0: Anything else on this topic, Dr. Beck, that you think would be of value to producers to think about and consider?
1: You know, uh, the, the grazing management, the forage management, uh, there's a lot that goes into this that, that there's a lot more than kind of meets the eye. If we are supplying, you know, with a percent and a half of their body weight uh, as a concentrate, we are supplying the majority of their calories as a concentrate. But we're still, you know, supplying uh, 40 to 50% of their total diet as forage. So if we can, you know, manage that forage where it's, you know, good quality um, and make sure there's enough of it so that the cattle can, you know, get uh, adequate uh, grazing, that's going to be important. This is not going to be something I would suggest that somebody use with a native pasture. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, abuse on the on those uh, pastures, so it's it's kind of I think best suited for introduced forages. That's going to be more resilient to the grazing pressure and the traffic. That you know it would stand up on that. The Bermuda grass, crabgrass, you know, in my mind was a was an excellent fit with this. the The other thing that's a positive is the environmental implications as far as uh, spreading the nutrients over a wider zone instead of concentrating them in a dry lot. We're going to have a lot less nitrogen emissions into the air. Uh, and, uh, you know, as far as that nutrient storage and, and uh, or nutrient emissions, it's going to be a lot less of an issue because the we are going to spread it uh, across a, a larger area. So, you know, there are some you know, positives that go beyond just, you know, we're going to be able to finish cattle on an operation.
0: Thanks again for joining me today, Dr. Beck. I really appreciate our discussion.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it, and that's one of those things. I I think it's an alternative that, you know, could get some interest from a lot of different uh, types of operations.
0: For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to see the article that was in the Calf Calf Corner newsletter. This can be found at the Oklahoma State University's animal science website. And again, if you'd like to talk to Dr. Beck more about the research that he's conducted on this topic, his information can be found online, and he's with Oklahoma State University.